The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Gabby, and welcome to What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Gabby. I'm the founder of What's Gabby Cooking, a food website. I'm a best-selling author, and now I'm a podcast host. What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking-related questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry, and so much more. Plus, every episode, I'm going to be highlighting a super cool company that's doing awesome things in terms of home delivery, since we're all limiting the amount of time we spend at the grocery store. So without further ado, this is What's Gabby Cooking in Quarantine. You guys, we made it. It's the first day after my book launch. Happy Wednesday. I can't even believe it's here. So many of you have the book in your hands. I'm just so excited and grateful and thankful for everyone's support. You guys honestly make my job so much fun. So I wanted to start off today's podcast with a big giant thank you to all of you. Like my job wouldn't be possible without everyone. And I really appreciate you. On a non-book note, I am pumped because today we are talking about all sorts of things that are very near and dear to my heart. We're talking about butter. We're talking about cookie dough. We're talking about leftovers. You name it. You guys are crushing it with the voicemail questions. Thank you very much. So let's just roll right on into it. And here, should we start with cookie dough? Let's start with cookie dough. Hi, Gabby. It's Ellen from Cincinnati. I was just wondering about freezing cookie dough. So I know that we refrigerate the dough before baking to help the flavors develop a little bit more, but you're technically not supposed to put good chocolate in the fridge. So if I'm freezing the chocolate chunk cookie dough batter for, you know, a couple weeks or a month, is that going to change the taste of the chocolate when they're baked? especially if I'm using a chocolate bar as opposed to chocolate chips. If you have any advice, that would be great. Thanks. Hi, Ellen. Great question. Starting off strong, let's get into cookie dough. So yes, that is correct. You're not supposed to store chocolate in the refrigerator because it can sometimes absorb the other aromas and flavors that are in your fridge. So what I would say and what you should do for the chocolate chip cookie dough recipe or any other recipe that requires you to refrigerate chocolate for a period of time wrap it airtight. So if you're keeping it in your KitchenAid, like little bowl, wrap it really well with plastic wrap and just make sure as little amount of air as possible can get in. You can also do what I do. I sometimes transfer it to like snapware containers and then put those on because those are so heavy duty and tight. And that way the dough can like marinate in the fridge for 72 hours and then you can freeze it if you want to. You're going to be fine. The chocolate will still be delicious. When you're baking them, I would let the chocolate come to room temperature-ish before you scoop and bake. A, you're going to need it to be at room temperature in order to scoop it. Otherwise, it'll be too hard. And that way, the chocolate will bake up perfectly. It'll melt perfectly. You'll be totally fine. And then you'll be able to have cookie dough basically every day of your life, which is honestly what this world needs right now. Okay, who's next? My name is Jen C. I'm calling from Raleigh, North Carolina. And my question is, when is it important to use salted butter versus unsalted butter? I tend to always buy salted and just use it for everything, but I'm wondering if there is anything where it is important to use one or the other. And my other question is about shrimp. No matter how I try to cook them, they always come out rubbery and yuck. So I have given up on them, but I thought maybe Gobby could help out. So. 
Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Hi, Gen C. Thank you for that question. I feel very strongly about butter, so I'm excited to tackle this today with you. For the most part, when you're talking about butter, you can use either one in most recipes. For like cooking recipes, you're going to be fine. The reason I always prefer using unsalted butter over salted butter for 95% of things is because it allows you to have complete control over the flavor of the recipe. So you get to pick how much salt you put in your baked goods. You get to put how much salt is going in your pasta, whatever it is. I think that's really nice. There are a few times when I would actually welcome using salted butter. So if you are putting it on oatmeal, if you are spreading it on toast, something like that, where you wouldn't normally think to add salt, but you want that little hint of extra flavor. That's when I would use salted butter. If salted butter is all you have, that's totally fine too. Just omit the extra salt that you would be adding into the recipe. For example, if you're making a pasta, maybe salt it just a lot less than you normally would taste it and then salt it later. Just like, I don't know about you guys. I'm kind of willy nilly about my salt. So I'll just like put it on everything before I even taste it. But if you're using salted butter, you probably don't want to do that. Another thing I love using salted butter for are compound butters because I don't have to worry about adding salt to that. So there's a couple recipes on my site for compound butters. So I think that answers the question. I just buy unsalted butter for the most part. We'll be honest. Okay. Shrimp. Question number two, how to cook perfect shrimp every time. So that's a great question. There's a blog post on my site called Perfect Shrimp Every Time, and it literally walks you through step-by-step of how to buy shrimp, how to thaw shrimp, how to cook shrimp. The thing about shrimp is it cooks so quickly, like so quickly. So you really have to keep your eyes on it. You can't walk away. And once it curls up too much, it's already overcooked. I almost like to take it off 30 seconds before it's going to be done. Take it off of the heat and let it cook residually in the pan. You also want to make sure it's completely thawed before you take it out and cook with it. If you need to thaw it quickly, you can put it in a bowl of cold water on the counter. Don't ever thaw shrimp in warm water because it'll kind of mess with their texture. And then always blot them dry. You want to make sure they're as dry as possible before you add them to any like saute pan or you bake them or whatever it is. Another thing I like to do with shrimp is have a combination of olive oil and butter as my base because it gives it so much flavor. And then lastly, when you're cooking shrimp, you want them to be pink with bright red tails. So as soon as it starts turning pink, do not walk away from your stove. Keep your eyes on them. When it's pink throughout, there's no more like little gray bits in the middle. You're done. So as a general rule, it should look like what I said on my website is that undercooked shrimp are wide and flexible in the shape of a U. Overcooked shrimp are in the shape of an O. So you want it to just kind of look like a C, not an O, not a U. It's weird, but it works. (laughs) But if you go to the blog, Google perfect shrimp, it'll come right up. You're going to nail it. And there are recipes on there for all different ways to use it. All right. Who's next? Hi, Gabby. This is Kelly from Colorado, and I have been craving to make pizza and have watched your Insta Lives and seen you and Thomas make pizza. And so I really want to make some at home, but I'm lacking cheese. And I right now I have goat cheese, but I don't really have access to anything else. And although I'm fortunate to have a wholesaler in Denver to get a lot of produce from, I just am not sure how to make pizza with produce and a little cheese. (laughs) So I wondered if you had any recipes or ideas on a flatbread or pizza that's heavy on the produce and maybe a little goat cheese. Thanks so much. Bye. Hi, Kelly. Thank you for calling in. Great question about the cheese because cheese can sometimes be hard to find, especially during quarantine. 
Here's the deal. You don't need cheese to make an incredible pizza, flatbread, whatever you want to call it. In fact, if you ask my mother, she would tell you she very rarely puts cheese on a pizza and they barbecue their pizza all the time. It's amazing. Here are a couple tips and tricks when I don't have a lot of cheese on hand. One, I wouldn't use a red sauce. I think a red sauce definitely needs a cheese for the base. I would use a basil vinaigrette. I would use an olive oil sauce. I would use salsa, something that has different flavors so your mind isn't like, where's the cheese? And then I would load it up with anything you want. You could put roasted vegetables on your, it's sauteed vegetables, protein. Once you cook the pizza, you could add like a dressed arugula salad on top. I think the key is to really just layer all those flavors on there and you're not even going to miss the cheese. You could add that goat cheese you have while you bake it. Like you could let it melt down a little bit. Goat cheese isn't very melty, so it's just going to kind of like soften. You can add the goat cheese at the end. It's going to have even more of a tang to it if you do that, like with the arugula salad on top or on top of the vegetables that you added on there. It's just about adding other things. So if you go to the pizza section of my blog, it is well-versed in every kind of pizza recipe imaginable. And a lot of them are totally fine to do without cheese. The only reason I say not to use a red sauce though is, I mean, personally, I just think it needs cheese. So go for a different sauce, think outside the box and you are going to be just fine. And if I wasn't in quarantine and you were in quarantine, I would happily come over and eat it with you. Okay. One more question. Hi, Bobby. It's Kelly from Fullerton, California. Loving the podcast. We are struggling a little bit with reheating leftovers. We've been pretty good with making our dinners. We make salmon or shrimp. We get our hands on it, maybe some steak, but reheating them the next day, they're just lacking a little bit. So I'm curious if you have any tips or tricks for that. Thank you so much for keeping us entertained and positive. Can't wait for the book tour. Bye. Hi, Kelly. Great question. I live leftovers, mostly because it means I don't have to cook for whatever meal it is. Here's a general rule that I like to follow in my house. Whatever you use to make the recipe, whether it was a saute pan, a stock pot, the oven, that's kind of how I like to reheat things. There are times where things are unavoidable to be reheated in the microwave. That's just how it is. If you're going to use a microwave, I would say do it slowly. You don't want to overcook anything or like dry it out. The microwave can dry things out. So I usually would do like 30 to 45 second intervals, kind of like put my finger in whatever it is, clean finger and see if it's warm and go that way. Otherwise, I would try and use my toaster oven to reheat things like crusty breads, anything breaded or fried, baked goods, roasted vegetables and meat, pizza, grilled sandwiches, all that kind of stuff I would do in my toaster oven. If you had a soup or a stew or a saute, you could put it back in the same kind of pan you cooked it in and just like gently heat it up over the stove. Pasta, you can do that with pasta and rice and casserole as well. I feel like that's it. I mean, I wouldn't really use a double boiler or a steamer to reheat everything because that just feels like an aggressive amount of work. Putting things in a skillet and just sauteing lightly gives it a nice little crispness that you wouldn't get from the microwave. So that would be, that's my preferred method of reheating. But like also, I'm not afraid of the microwave. All right, guys, that is it for today's podcast questions. We are going to talk about a cool company. It's definitely not a mom and pop shop. This is a little bit bit bigger, but I had a delivery come last week from them, from a friend, and I totally spaced. Are you ready for this? Jenny's ice cream. I mean, there was a Brambleberry Crisp pint delivered to my house. And honestly, I've never (laughs) been 
happier. You can order everything online, jennies.com, J-E-N-I-S.com. It's amazing. If you want to know my favorite flavors, I will tell them to you. I mean, Brambleberry Crisp is the number one of all times. I also love their lemon blueberry parfait. You really can't go wrong. There's a salted caramel somewhere in there. That's incredible. They are some of the best ice creams I've ever had. And they actually make a, oh, you know what they would make? A really great Mother's Day gift. If you are not quarantining with your mother and you need to send her something, I feel like this is the way to do it. Oh my God. I don't think my mother would ever forgive me if I sent her pints of ice cream though. She'd be so mad because she'd eat them all. Anyways, they're incredible. They also have a strawberry buttermilk that I'm just remembering that changed my life when I had it in Nashville last year. Anyways, check them out. Really cool company. Love supporting her. And that's a wrap for today's episode. All right, that's it for today's What's Gobby Cooking in Quarantine podcast. Be sure to tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future until quarantine is over. (laughs) If you have any questions that you want answered, give me a call, 888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you have a super cool small company you know about that deserves to be highlighted, leave it as a voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out whatsgobbycooking.com and I will talk to you guys very soon. Bye.